Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. We have spent our whole lifetime being concerned with us and what we want more than anything else. Now, it's awesome to stand up and act spiritual and and pretend like we've got it all together. That's not true for anybody. And most people, if they'd be honest, spend more time trying to meet their own needs than they do trying to obey the Word of God. But the Word of God has a verb for us here to humble ourselves. I told you before, there's there's only two options when it comes to humbling because humbling will happen if you're a Christian. It's just like having a father in your home. See, if you're a Christian, you have a heavenly father. And when you have a good father in your home, humility is guaranteed. My kids can't walk around in my house arrogant, but for so long. They can choose to humble themselves or they can get humbled. Are you following me? It's the same way in the body of Christ. We have a heavenly father that oversees us, and we get to choose. We get to choose whether we humble ourselves or whether we let our heavenly father humble us but humbling will happen and because of the grace of God because of the goodness of God because of the loving kindness and tender mercy of God he allows us the option to humble ourselves I would encourage you to pick that option I would encourage you to pick that option I've been saying for years I started saying about 13 years ago uh, I've, I've had maybe about 12 different words People talk about prophetic words, statements that I said, write it down and put a date on it because it's going to happen. And all of them have come to pass within the time frame that I gave them. About 13 years ago, I prophesied that inside that year, we were going to start seeing some massive humbling of large uh, ministry leaders. And they began to fall off one by one like that. And I told, I told everybody then that I hoped that they would do what we all have the option to do. And this is the option. Repent before you get caught. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Straighten you up before God has to jerk a knot in your neck. Because when you humble yourself, God is happy with you. And there's no consequences. But if you wait and you make God humble you, then there's consequences and nobody's happy. Let me keep moving. First verb, you got to humble yourself. Then it goes on to say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That word resist is our next verb. Resist the devil. That's a verb, so it's an action. It takes work. Say work. If you act like you're not in a spiritual battle, you're beat already. If you act like, let let, let me just use Stacy as an example. Uh, If Stacy was bouncing in a bar, and we were all in a bar, and he came up to you, and said, if you don't put that knife down, I'm going to knock you out and take it from you. If you act like you don't believe he's going to do that, and you just keep standing there looking stupid on your face, then and you're all down here, it's going to be pretty easy to, to make that happen. You need to ready yourself when you are in a battle. You need to ready yourself. If you know you're going to get punched in the face, you need to put your hands up. If you know you are going to be engaging with a real foe that means to do you harm, you need to create some space and some distance, and you need to protect yourself and get ready to go on the offensive because I'll always believe that the best defense is a good offense. And that's why I teach you when the devil pushes on you, don't just lay down, push back. 
When the devil messes with you, go on the offense. Get more spiritual. When the devil messes with your faith, increase your faith. When the devil messes with your finances, increase your giving. When the devil messes with, with your emotions, increase your praise. Go on the offense. But if you act like there's no fight, no battle, you're already beat before the game starts. And there's a whole group of people, there are denominations full of people that don't believe in spiritual warfare, don't believe in a real devil. 53% of people in church, Protestant churches, people who claim to be born again, surveyed by the Barner Research Institute, 53% said they don't believe the devil is a literal being. They better not be an abundant life. Because the devil is just as real as Jesus. He's not as good as Jesus, but he's just as real as Jesus. The devil is a real person, and the devil is someone to be resisted. If you don't resist the devil, you're just easy pickings. If you're not actively fighting against doing wrong, now remember it says therefore or so because, because of what? Because of all this stuff he's just said. Now, we looked at this stuff last week talking about being spiritual adulterers, talking about having evil desires on the inside of the Christian that, that leads us to do wrong. God says, because you've got all those wrong desires in you, because you're all jacked up on the inside and you need the Lord's help, you better resist the devil. If you don't, you're going to slide back. Too many people have bought into the lie that they're plateaued spiritually. There is no plateau spiritually because life is on an incline. There, there is no plateau. See, we're coming up the rough side of the mountain. That's what the hymn writer said. We're coming up. To, now, people say, I want to come up the easy side of the mountain. You never want to come up the easy side of the mountain. It's a good thing to come up the rough side of the mountain. Because on the rough side of the mountain, when you slip and fall, there's a branch to grab onto. There's a tree stump to stop you from sliding all the way back down. We're coming up the rough side of a steep mountain as Christians. And there is no plateau. You're either advancing or you're declining because there is pressure pushing you backwards. And when there is pressure pushing you backwards, you may be pressing as hard as you can just to hold your ground. That's not plateaued. That's still pressing. And you need to make sure that you're pressing forward spiritually because this is how you resist the devil. People say, well, I'm not giving in to the devil. If you're not resisting him, you are. Your apathy is giving in. Your lack of advancement is giving in. Your lack of doing something for God is giving in because God has commanded us to do these things. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, this is cool. It doesn't say, speak to the devil. Now, it's very cool in many churches. It's very, it's very now in many churches. And listen, I don't do anything theologically that has only been happening in the world for 100 years. I don't embrace any theology that's only 120 years old. I don't embrace new theology because God said there's nothing new under the sun. I'm an orthodox theologian. I look to the church fathers. I look to the founding fathers of the first century church to get my theology from because the Bible says that our religion is based on the religion of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Now, in the last 30, 40 years, declaring decree has become fashionable in church. And I saw, I saw a four-year-old boy preaching a whole church happy. It was cute. He was cute. And, but they just swore it, that it was He's up there wearing a nice suit and a bow tie, and he went on for 20 minutes. I declare and I decree the devil can't no mess with me. And that's cute and that's funny, but it's not in your declare and your decree. 
And people are walking around declaring and decreeing stuff that God never told them. There's nowhere. It doesn't say declare and decree to the devil to leave you alone because that doesn't work. You can stand up and you, you can rebuke the devil all you want to. You can plead the blood of Jesus all you want to. You can scream and holler and make demands and declarations all you want to. But if you keep living sloppy, the devil's not going to stop messing with you. It's not in your de- declaration or your decree. It's not in your confession or your speech. It's in your resistance. That's an action. That takes work. It's when you shoulder up to him. The devil's like every other punk on the playground. See, kids today don't throw hands. Kids today bump shoulders and stand and bump gums and talk a lot. And they just, you know, they act like they're going to do something. That's the devil. The devil wants the toughest man hit my hand, took my shoulder, and all just selling wolf tickets the whole time. When somebody could have just punched, knocked them out, I I tell my kids all the time, the answer to all that dilemma, right hand to the face. That's the only answer to that dilemma, right hand to the face. That's going to stop all that wolf ticket selling. But the devil is like these modern-day punks. He doesn't throw hands. He just sells wolf tickets. And he barks and he yells and he tries to make you think he's pressing up against you. But the minute you press up back against him, what's he do? He flees from you. He's not scared of you. But when you step into the authority you have as a Christian, he's not scared of you and your declaration or your confession. But when you begin to enact the truth of God's word and walk in it yourself, then he realizes, I'm just a punk. I can't win this fight. See, punks know when to back down. Punks know when to leave it alone. And the devil knows when to leave it alone. And he doesn't leave it alone because we come to church. He doesn't leave it alone because we say the right things. He leaves it alone when we resist him. That's an action that you need to learn how to take. How do you resist him? You press back. And we need to start pressing back. Whatever you need more of, you got to give more of. Whatever you need to happen in your life, you need to cause it to happen. We live under a law of reciprocity. What you put out comes back to you. What you sow, you reap. What you plant, you harvest. And whatever you need more of, you got to plant more of. I've met so many people like, Pastor Scott, I would just love to have as many scriptures memorized as you have memorized. I've spent years studying the Word of God. Spend years studying the Word of God, you're going to have a lot of scripture memorized. I know people who say, I just wish I had so-and-so's joy. You want more joy? Give joy away. You want more friends? Give friendship away. You want more money? Give money away. You want more goodness in your life? Give goodness away because whatever you give away comes back to you. Now, sadly... This is an unconditional promise from the Lord. Most of God's promises are conditional. If you do this, then God will do that. Reciprocity is a worldwide universal promise without condition. And you can hear people talk about it. I hear celebrities talk about it all the time. Ask the universe for goodness. But the universe can't give you goodness. But whatever, put out good vibes and good vibes will come back to you. Listen, the universe can't provide all that for you, but the law of reciprocity works for everybody in Christ and out of Christ. You get back what you put out. And if you want more of something, if you need your faith to increase, you got to invest more in your faith. If you need your joy to increase, you got to invest more in your joy. See, this is how you resist, by doing something. Say, do something. goes on in verse 8 to say, come close to God. That's another verb. Come close to God. Now, one of them old school good, uh, you know, when you was making a mixtape, 
back, back when you were single and you cared about that kind of stuff, you, you, you needed to put some, some, some good singing on there, some old school songs. You know, they hadn't had good singers since Motown. Everything since then has been dubbed over and remixed and made with computers. But between Motown and now, the, there was a song. I don't remember who sang it. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. It, it might have been Peaches and Herb. I don't remember who sang it. But they said, darling, if you want me to be closer to you, get what? Get closer to me. They stole that from the Bible. They stole that from the book of James. Because God said, come close to God, and he will come close. That's God's word to you. If you want God to get close to you, sitting there ain't going to get it done. Hanging out praying about it ain't going to get it done. See, too many people sitting at the house praying when you need to do what old school saints knew. You got to put feet to your prayer. You got to get up and do something. You got to plant a seed to reap a harvest. And we need to learn how to come close to God. All right, so I'm going to give you uh, a few seconds to inspire us with, with, your, with your biblical wisdom. How can the people in this room, the people around the world, how can God's people come close to him? What's some ways we can come close to him, church? Read the word. Fasting. Praying. Loving people. When we do what God tells us to do, that's our best level of approach to him. When we praise him and when we thank him, that's our best level of approach to him. When we operate inside the word of God, that's our best level of approach to him. God is a parent. You always need to remember, if you learn how to approach God as a father and you as the child, Christianity is going to become easier for you and it's going to make more sense. If you look at God as some big deity, scary dude up in the sky far, far away, you're never going to understand him. He chose to reveal himself to us as a father, and we need to learn how to comprehend him as his children. And do you realize if you know you broke the fender on dad's car last time you drove it, you're probably ducking him. If you know you ate the last bit of the food in the refrigerator and you were told to leave it alone, you're probably ducking the, your mom. If you know you brought home all Fs when you told your parent you were doing good in school, you're ducking them. When you, why, why are you ducking them? Because you know that your rebellion, your disobedience has created distance. And it's the same way between God. Our rebellion and our disobedience creates distance. But our humility and our obedience creates closeness. When we obey God, when we do the things he's told us to do, that's how we come close to him. And God's promise to us is if we come close to him, he will come close to us. Then we see in the next sentence it says, wash your hands. It's another verb. Then it gives us another verb, purify your hearts. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. Now, so what do we need to do? Have big soap basins and sinks in the church with, with, with soap and and, and some washcloths to scrub across our hearts? No, it's, it's talking metaphorically, washing your hands and purifying your hearts. Your hands represent your actions, and your heart represents your thoughts. See, the Bible says as a man thinks in his heart. The Greeks thought that the heart was what you thought with and the guts was what you felt with. You still know that the guts are what you feel with if you ever get dumped. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of y'all been dumped because you don't want to raise your hand about that. How many of y'all ever been lovesick? But if you've ever been dumped or lovesick, it hurts all the way down in your what? Guts. It hurts in your deep belly when you're lovesick. And that's why the Greeks thought that your emotions were in your belly and your thoughts 
were in your heart. So purify your heart. Your heart represents your thoughts, and your hands represent your actions. That's why the early Christians would lift their hands to God. They would lift their hands to God for one reason as a sign that says, my hands and my heart are clean. So you can't lift your hand. You can't come to God's table with dirty hands. You can't come to God's presence living sloppy all the time. And so there, there's a process to our approach to God. He's telling us to come close to him, but there's a process to this approach. You have to wash your hands before you come to God's table. Does that make sense to you? It needs to make sense to you. I'm not talking about soap and water on your physical hands. I'm talking about clean up your actions. You have to purify your heart before you can do what the verse says to do in the first sentence. You've got to purify your heart before you can come close to God, expecting God to come close to you. You've got to get your actions together. Don't schedule counseling with any preacher, priest, therapist, rabbi, bishop, potentate. Don't go to somebody and ask them to tell you what's wrong when you know what's wrong. Most people that go to counseling already know what's wrong. They just want somebody to tell them that it's somebody else's fault. They want, they want some counselor to sign off on their drama and say, it's not your fault. I see what you're saying. It's totally their fault. Most people that want to go to counseling already know what they need. Don't sit in somebody's office. Don't, don't schedule time with me to ask me how, how to fix what's going on in your life when you know you're not doing the basic things of Christianity. There are some things that are just requisite to being right with God, reading your Bible, praying, fasting, giving tithes and offerings, serving God, loving him, loving people, praise, worship, devotion. These are all things that are required. And, and this is how you wash your hands. This is how you purify your hearts. He goes on to say, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, if you read the first six verses of James chapter 4 this month, or if you were here last week, uh, Wednesday night, when we taught that passage, you, you understand what he's talking about with this divided loyalty. The Bible says that if you make yourself a friend to the world, you become an enemy to God. And if your heart is divided, if your loyalty is divided between God and the world, you can't do the thing that God's telling you to do in the beginning of this verse. Now, what's the first verb in verse 8? Come close. Come close to who? Come close to God. You can't do that with bad actions bad thoughts, or divided loyalty. So you're out of gas with that. And if you can't come close to God, guess what God won't do? Now, that's a problem. That's a problem. When God won't come close to you, that's a real problem. And you're going to have times in your life, if you live long enough as a Christian, where you're going to feel like your prayers are not getting through. Y'all don't want to admit it. It's true anyhow. You're going to have times in your life as a Christian when you're going to feel like, I'm really trying to read my Bible, but it's just not sinking in. You're going to have times in your life where you know your praise and worship is not as on point as it should be. And I'm going to give you the answer and the solution right here. It's all found in the verbs. It's all found in the, you're trying to get God to come close to you because that's the joy of every believer. When I come home, my kids run to the door to greet me because daddy's home. Only, only, only good things can happen when I come home. They're not going to get a milkshake without me. They're not driving themselves to Disney World. They're not, they're not, going, they're not going to take themselves to, to, to the movies. And when I come home, good stuff can happen or bad stuff can happen. And if they're ducking me, they, they stay hid upstairs. And then I know what, what, what happened. But when they run to me, it's because they, they're glad that I'm coming their way. See, the hope of every Christian is that God would come your way. 
What did the hymn writer say? While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. That's the hope of every real Christian is that God will come my way. Spend time with me. Let me feel his closeness. Let me get out of this rut and get back to where I can feel the presence of God in my life. That's not going to happen unless you wash your hands, purify your hearts, and get your loyalty set on God. Verse 9 says, let there be tears. That's the other verb. Let there be tears. So there has to be what? Tears. People don't love tears. The Bible says people love laughter more than tears, and I get that. Solomon said people love feasting more than funerals, and I get that. But Solomon said it's better to go to funerals than it is to go to feasting. He said funerals are better than parties. Why? Because you get more wisdom at a funeral than you get at a party. You get foolishness at a party, but you get wisdom at a funeral. You get fun at at a party, but you get reality at a funeral. Because a funeral causes you to think about your own mortality. And I better get my stuff together before I stand before God. I better get my mind set on Jesus before I step out into eternity. And that's why the word says, let there be tears for what? What you have done. Well, what should I be crying about, preacher? Well, what have you done? You know. Now, here's the crazy thing. What if you had to stand up right now and confess to everybody in this room? Forget that. What if I had it on video? The last three bad things you've done right there on that screen. How many people want me to show it to everybody? If you do, you're a twisted, special kind of twisted. You're a special kind of twisted if you want me to show that. You don't want that to be seen on video. Why? Because we don't want everybody to know. But guess what? God knows. Who are we more concerned with? God's already got it on video. God saw it when it happened. And that's why there needs to be tears. People don't come to the altar much. Even in this church, in this church we used to we, we have invitations. People come to the altar and pray and cry. And people sit back and think, I wonder what's wrong with them. And I would tell people all the time, nothing wrong with them. They're doing what God told them to do. They're getting their mind and their heart right. Some of you can't remember the last time you cried about what you've done. Now, that either means you think you're perfect or you've just gone grown cold on your sin. That's a bad place to be in. You're in a rut for sure whether you know it or not. Let there be tears for what you've done. Next verb, let there be sorrow. Say sorrow and deep grief. Sorrow and deep grief. For what? For what you've done. Are you sorrowful for what you've done? When you do wrong and you know you've let your heavenly father down, are you sorrowful? See, we live in a generation where people aren't sorrowful for what they've done. They're sorry for what? Getting caught. And that's why I just can't take one more punk in the NFL or, or any, any, any professional uh, athlete. If you're a professional athlete, you ought to have a certain level of testosterone. You ought to have a certain level of machismo that enabled you to rise into the ranks of professional athletes. These professional athletes, they get caught on their Twitter saying stuff insulting people, telling them how they really feel. They get caught saying stuff that they, that they meant with all their heart, whether it's racist or anti-homo or whatever it is, they come out and somebody catches them saying something, and then the next day they're holding a press conference doing what? Apologizing to the whole world. 
Manny Pacquiao is a senator in the Philippines. He's part of the Philippine government. And he, well, I don't know if he's still uh, a, a reigning senator right now, but he was. I think he's back into full-time boxing now, be that as it may. And when he was acting senator in the Philippine government, he got caught on tape saying that I do not believe in homosexuality, it is an abomination, and a man who will lay with another man sexually is no different to me than a dog. Or he said he's not, no, he said he's not as good to me as a dog because at least dogs know how, how to find a female. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But guess what happened when that hit social media? Manny Pacquiao. Now, that's one of the baddest human beings on the planet. I don't care how big you are. You don't want to mess with Manny Pacquiao. He'll hit you 15 times. He might not hit hard, but he'll keep hitting. Gets up and makes this long-winded apology about how he hoped he didn't mean to offend anybody and that what he was saying might not have been received contextually. I'm thinking, no, you said what you meant. Why not stand by it? Why not just rise up and go with it? See, right here in Jacksonville, when Dr. Jerry Vines was pastor in the First Baptist Church downtown Jacksonville, he got in trouble nationally because he stood up and said that Christianity is better than Islam. They railed on him from all over the place. They were railing on him from the other side of the country. That made world news. And they demanded that he recant, that he, that he produce a retraction, that he stand up and say all religions are equal, and he refused. And I thank God for that. Where's the backbone in human beings? That cause, see, the reality is people aren't sorry for, for what they do. They're just sorry when they get caught. Don't be that kind of person. You should be sorry when you get caught, but if you be sorry for doing it before you get caught, you might save getting caught. Are you following me? Common sense. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. You just can't joke your way through life. You cannot joke your way through life. God is serious as a heart attack. All day, every day. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Paul, when he was talking to the believers at Corinth about the coming judgment for Christians, see, because we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We won't be judged for whether or not we get into heaven, but we will be judged for the way we live our lives according to the Scripture. And Paul said, knowing that this judgment is coming, he said, I urge you to straighten up. He was fearful of the coming judgment why because he was sorrowful oh and there was tears and there was deep grief and there was sadness instead of laughter there was gloom instead of joy why because he knew he was gonna have to stand up and answer for the things he had done now you need to understand that there's a judgment coming now i believe in laughter laughter does a heart good like a medicine but you need to get serious at some point the bible is constantly telling us to be serious-minded a lot of preachers use a verse in the King James to preach against drinking. When the Bible says be sober, it's not talking about don't drink. It's talking about be serious-minded. Now, only you know your personality. And, and, I, and I love happy people, and I love jokey people. They, they help balance out some of us overly serious types. But if you're just joking your way through life and you never take time to sit down and deal with what's real, then you're just going to be easy prey for the devil. And you're never going to get to the place where God can come close to you. And the hope of all this is that God will come close to you. This is what this passage is talking about. This is what this text is talking about. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord. And that's the 10th verb, humble yourselves. I told you in the beginning, humility 
is assured inside the kingdom of God. It's a guarantee. You can't be arrogant, but for so long inside the kingdom of God. Humility's coming. It's coming. Just because it hadn't come yet doesn't mean it's not going to come. It's coming. Everybody who ever got too big for their britches got knocked down a peg. Don't get too big for your britches. Don't get too big in your mind. The Bible says don't think of yourself as better than you are. Realize your frame. Realize that we're all frail, that we're all sinners, that we all have issues. Nobody's better than anybody else, and we all need Jesus. If you live like that, then you won't be one of these twisted people saying, well, I can't even believe she did that, and she's supposed to be saved. I can't even believe he did that, and he's supposed to be saved. He's supposed to be a pastor, and he, he did that. Listen, consider yourself and understand life is a struggle for all believers, and we need to love each other in spite of each other. And that starts by humbling ourselves and recognizing, I need help. I need the Lord. I can't do this on my own. I can't operate in my own strength and be effective because that is the trick of the devil. I do not believe that the devil can talk you out of your salvation. If you're truly saved, the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you and that you are in Jesus' hand and Jesus' hand is wrapped up in God's hand and the Holy Spirit is sealing God's hand. You are secure in the hand of God. The devil cannot talk you out of your salvation if you're truly born again, but he can talk you into a lower form of living. He can distract you into being less than God created you to be. He can get you into a place where you feel okay with you. See, this is the difference between new, new religion and old religion. The purpose of new age religion is to make everybody feel good about their self. Make everybody feel good about their life. And, and I've been to conferences that, that teach it. Joel Osteen goes around the country teaching preachers to don't say anything that's going to make anybody feel bad in the church. And here's his exact speech. Because people get, your people get beat up all week long, they need to come into church and hear something to lift them up. Now, I can get what he's saying because life can be hard. And you do need to be encouraged. But to never say anything that causes you to feel bad would to say that there's no rules and there's no standards. When you break the rules, you ought to feel bad. When you don't live up to the standard, you ought to feel bad. When you're living shabby and slack, you ought to have somebody tell you that's not a passing grade. See, New Age religion just wants to pat everybody on the back on their way to hell. As long as you feel good. As long as it makes you happy. Well, if that's the way you see it, I respect your right to see it how you see it. This is just how I see it. And I believe you ought to do what you believe, and I'll do what I... That's not Christianity. The Bible says no scriptures of any private interpretation. It can't mean one thing to Brother Jim and a different thing to me. It means what it means to everybody. And we need to bow to the scripture. The scripture's always right. So somebody's got to be wrong. Either God's wrong or we're wrong. And when we get to the place where we stop being affected with our wrong, we're already beat. Because we're no longer humbling ourselves. We're no longer crying out, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. We're no longer crying out to God asking for forgiveness. We're no longer crying out to God asking for help. We're no longer crying out to God asking to change us. Religion wants you to feel good about where you are. God wants to stretch you to come up higher. God wants to stretch you to see where you really are. So you'll recognize, I need to do better. 
See, there are no perfect people in the kingdom, and I'm not teaching perfection. And you don't have to be perfect for God to love you. God loves us just where we are. We're his children, Monday through Monday, and all next year too. We're his children all the way around the clock, all the way around the calendar. And we don't have to be perfect for him to love us. David is the most bragged on figure in the Old Testament outside of Jehovah. David is the most exalted figure in the Old Testament. He was the great king of Israel. He wasn't the first king. He was the second king. The first king was the most impressive man in Israel, King Saul, good-looking. Be wary of good-looking tall folk. Well, let me back up. Let me back up. Let me back up. Because according to the United States Chamber of Commerce, the average man in America is 5'9", 170 pounds. And I'm 5'9 and a half and 212 pounds, so I'm, I'm big for a man. That's funny. I'm tall, according to the Chamber of Commerce. Overly tall. Be weary of overly tall men. I'm, I'm a half inch bigger than the average man. Be weary of overly tall dudes and good-looking dudes with pretty hair. I believe what Bishop said. Bishop said, I don't trust no good hair preacher. Be worried about good hair. Listen, Saul had all that. And his name means natural ability. And he had more natural ability than anybody. He was the best looking guy in the kingdom. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was big, strong, and good looking. And he knew he could get the job done. He was the baddest thing on two feet. And he knew that if he had to do it, he was the one that could do it. And he learned how to trust his own ability. And when you learn how to trust your own ability, you set yourself up for failure. See, there is in life what I call the curse of ability. The curse of ability is best seen in a children's story called the tortoise and the hare. How many of y'all remember the story of the tortoise and the hare? The tortoise and the hare. The turtle is slow. The rabbit is fast, and the rabbit knows he's fast. The rabbit is way faster. The rabbit is going to win this race so easy that he allows his ability to become his curse. So he lays back and doesn't try hard, and he loses. Now, we're not racing turtles, but if you have a large amount of intelligence, if you have a large amount of gifting, if you have a large amount of ability, you can allow that to become your curse. Because when you stop working hard, your ability stops being great. See, hard work beats ability every day and twice on Sunday. Hard work will always beat talent. People rely on talent, and it becomes their curse. This, this is where great separates itself from good. If you look at great players, if you want to look at the best players, if you want to look at people like Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant has great talent, but he also outworked everybody. Michael Jordan had great talent, but he also outworked everybody. When you mix talent and effort, then you get greatness. Either one by itself can just produce goodness. But you don't want to let your strengths become your weakness because of the curse of your talent and your ability because at that point you start feeling okay about yourself. You've stopped humbling yourself so God's not coming close to you anymore. You've just felt like I'm okay, I'm good where I am. And if you really are okay with where you are, now I'm not saying don't be happy about what God's doing in your life. You need to get to a place where you're that, but you should always have a desire to rise up. The Bible says God wants to transition us from one level of glory to the next level of glory. God wants to take us closer and higher by building us deeper and stronger. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And the last phrase in this text says, and he will lift you up in honor. 
See, at the end of these 10 verbs, God does a verb. I told you there are 10 verbs in these four verses. There's actually 11. But there's 10 verbs that are commands to us. The 11th verb is in the final phrase. What's what's the verb in the phrase, he will lift you up in honor? Lift. See, we got some English majors in the room. Lift is the verb. And people are like, I ain't an English major, but at least I knew that. Well, thank you. The action here is not being done by us. All 10 of the other ones, done by us. You you, you see, even in the first part of the verse, humble yourselves. That's done by us. That's the 10th verb. That's the 10th action, the 10th command that God has told us to do on our own. Too many people sitting back waiting on God to do something big in their life. The pastor, I'm just holding on, waiting on the Lord. As soon as God opens up the next door. Stop waiting on God to open up the next door and do something in the door you're in. (laughs) Wash your door. Paint your door. Clean it. Open it yourself. People waiting on God to do something. God did enough at Calvary. If it doesn't do anything else, we got a lifetime worth of work to do already. That's the trick of the devil. I'm waiting on God's next direction. Get involved in the last direction. Do what he's already told you to do. And you'll never run out of stuff to do. So we got these ten things. And then in the end, God does something. So it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, you know I'm going to talk about the principle of inference. Because if you don't apply the principle of inference to your reading of the Bible, you're going to miss a ton. You're going to miss a lot. Because a lot is said in the Bible, but more is inferred. This is inferred that God, it says that God will lift you up if you do what? If you humble yourself before the Lord, God will lift you up. Well, it doesn't say it, but it's properly inferred that if you don't humble yourself, God's not going to lift you up. And if God don't lift you up, you will fall. That's the only options. Either God's picking you up or you're falling. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. See, when you humble yourself, God lifts you up and gives you honor. So humility can lead to honor if it's done the right way. But humility can also lead to humiliation if it's done the wrong way. If you humble yourself before God, he will let your humility lead to honor for you. Not just for him. He will lift you up. He will honor you. The Father will honor you if you humble yourself before him. Now, if you don't choose the proper route of what humbling leads to honor, then your humbling gets to lead to humiliation, a.k.a. exposure, a.k.a. oops, a.k.a. what David said. I I was in utter ruin in the midst of all the congregation when they all found out what he had done. Humble is going to happen. At the end of humble, you get to choose honor or humiliation. Those are the only two roads for humble. Humble is going to happen. If you humble yourself, God will lift you up in honor. If you don't humble yourself, the humbling of the Lord will bring humiliation to your life. It's coming either way. So the best plan is to humble yourself. 
See, there's certain things that God's going to get. I don't preach this much. I don't know. I, well, I've never preached it here. I came from a church. They preach it every offering. The, the pastor would stand up and tell people, get your tithes out. We're going to give the tithe. And for all y'all that don't get your tithe out, and he would tell people, God's going to get the tithe. You can give it freely or he will take it from you. And he preached that every time we took the offering. And he, he preached God's going to get the tithe. You wonder why your tire went flat. You won't tithe. You wonder why your children needed two cavities filled instead of one. You won't tithe. And he just believed God's going to get the tithe. Well, there's just certain things that are going to happen in life. I believe for the Christian, God's going to get your attention about money. Either by blessing you for your faithfulness or letting you have lack. Okay, And I believe for the Christian, God is going to bring humility. And it can either come through honor or humiliation. The great news is you get to choose. You get to choose whether or not you humble yourself. You get to choose whether or not you cry over the things you've done. You get to choose whether or not you purify your hands and your heart. You get to choose whether or not you stop having divided loyalty between the world and God. You get to choose whether or not you draw close to God. Because if you don't do all those things, he's not going to draw close to you. And the coolest thing in the world, when a baby runs up to you or a grandchild runs up to you, what are their hands doing? When they see you and they love you and, and they've been missing you, what are their hands doing? They're doing that. What, what, what does grandmama do? What, do what, what does mom and daddy do when that baby runs to them like that? They lift them up. They lift them up in honor. They lift them up and they hold them close. And they let that baby know, mama loves you. Daddy loves you. You are in the safest place in the world because you're in my arms. And nothing can hurt you. And there's nothing but goodness for you in my arms. That's the place God wants us to be. If you will learn to see God as your heavenly father, and you will learn to run to him with your hands up. See, most adults won't do that because we're grown. I'm too grown. No, you become too serious for that. You stop seeing yourself as a child, and God is your daddy. And you need to learn how to run to him with your hands up and saying, please just pick me up. Can I sit in your lap again? See, some of y'all, if you had a good dad, if you had a good grandfather that used to let you sit in their lap and tell you stories, but now they've gone on to heaven, you just wish you could sit in that lap one more time, hear one more story, and get one more hug. Well, you can't get that in the natural, but you can get that from God. If you will run to God with your clean hands lifted up and your heart set on him, totally loyal to him, he will pick you up and he will hold you in a place of honor, which is next to him. See, the place of honor is at God's right hand. And when he wraps his arm around you, that's where you are. He won't come close to you unless you do these things. The reason most Christians don't enjoy Christianity is because God's not close to them. The reason why most Christians don't enjoy their, their walk with God is because they know God's not close to them. They, they know that God is distant on them and their relationship with God is strained. They know they're in a rut. They know they're not doing what they used to do. They're not as close as they used to be. 
I like what my old preacher used to say. He said he didn't believe for Christians that backsliding was going out doing a bunch of horrible stuff because he didn't believe Christians wanted to go out and do a bunch of horrible stuff, and I agree with that. He said to him he believed that backsliding for a Christian was you just love on God less now than you used to. You've slidden back. If there was ever a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now, you've slidden back. If there was ever a time in your life where you read more Scripture than you do now, you've slidden back. If there was ever a time where you prayed more than you do now, you've slidden back. If there was ever a time where you gave more, served more, praised more, or worshiped more, you've slidden back. Well, the good news is God said he's married to the backslider. And he won't throw you away. And he won't break his covenant with you. But he sure does want you to run to him and let him pick you up. But to do that, we got a list of ten things we got to get to. Because all ten things of those happen before he lifts you up. And, and is after all that happens. After you do all those things. The conjunction is predicated on the previous. Those ten things, then he will lift you up in honor. I'm not saying he'll make you the president. I'm not saying he'll make you the CEO. I'm not saying he'll give you a bunch of money. I'm saying he'll pick you up in his arms and hold you. And that's better than money. To have the father that you love embrace you and hold you close, that's better than money. And see, that's the whole goal. That's, that's where this pericope starts. A pericope is a portion, a shortened portion of literature that stands alone on its own. If you have a good study Bible, your Bible is broken into pericopes. It has little sections with little subtitles above it. And this, this pericope um, from verse 7 to verse 10 stands alone by itself. The purpose of this pericope is for God to be close to you. And that's why it starts by saying, come close to God, he'll come close to you. The, the purpose of this text is to get God to come close to you. Well, when he picks you up and holds you, that's when you're closer than you can be any, anywhere else. And those things are predicated on these ten commands. And I want you to think about them this week. I want you to read the book of James. Reread it if you've already read it this month. It's our book of the month. It's only five chapters. It only takes a handful of minutes to read it. And as you read it, I want you to look for these one-liners because there's a lot of one-liners. We just saw a bunch of one-liners in these four verses. Easy things you can apply. Things you don't have to have a degree in theology to understand. Things that you can say, I can do that, and I will do that because I want the end result. And the end result is God coming close to you again. I say again because I've heard so many people say, for decades. Pastor, I just wish I could get back to where I was when I first got saved. God was so real to me then. Life was so happy and so pure and so joyful then. I was just on fire then. You know why? Because God was close to you. You weren't trying to do all this Christianity on your own. God was right in the middle of your stuff because you were drawing close to him and he was drawing close to you because you were cleaning up your hands and you were cleaning up your heart. Because you were changing your actions and you were changing your thoughts. Because you were serious about the way you lived. And it didn't create distance between you and the Father. You can have that again. You can have that joy. You can have that closeness. You can have that intimacy with God. But if you want to get that, you got to do what's required to get it. Think about these ten verbs this week. Think about these, how you can apply these actions, these commands to your life because I promise you the end result is worth the effort.
Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise of your willingness to be close to us. Help us, God, to desire closeness with you. God, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and empower us with passion to love you more, passion to honor you more, passion to spend more time with you and to serve you and to obey you the way we should. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. We love you, God. Help us to love each other and to love you more and more every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.